Thank you, Bruce. The Bible says more of us acquire stewards than a man be found faithful. So often we think we need to be intelligent or talented or good looking to serve the Lord. But the only thing God requires of you that everybody can do, and that's be found faithful. I encourage you that you, God will find that in your life. Turn again your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20, our theme for the year. In fact, we're halfway through 2023. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Our theme for the year has been rooted deeply, standing firmly, and living steadfastly. And we're halfway through. So our focus is on that middle part, standing firmly. And I've been doing a series of messages on standing for truth. We've looked at already the truth about sin, the truth about salvation. We saw the truth about heaven. We saw what the Bible says, the truth about hell. And two weeks ago, I did a message, part one, on the truth about drinking. What the Bible says about drinking alcoholic beverages. Among God's people, there are two main positions. One position that Christians should abstain completely total abstinence from drinking. But there are many people who believe that drinking is okay long as done in moderation. That clearly drunkenness is wrong, but long as I drink in moderation or get drunk, then I, it's acceptable to do so. The Bi so what does the Bible say? You say, Pastor, why are you preaching on drinking? Do you believe people in the church are drinking? I don't know. <laughs> but my job as a pastor is to preach the word. And the Bible has a lot to say about drinking. And so many Christians do it because it's socially or culturally acceptable. But how are people, we need to realize culture should not dictate scripture. Right. Scripture should dictate culture. And just because the culture or society says it's okay does not mean necessarily it's okay with God. I don't know about you as a Christian, a child of God. It's my desire that everything I do, I say, even what I think is pleasing to God. We're going to look at a verse later on in our message today. The Bible says, proving was acceptable to the Lord. As a Christian, we should put everything to the test and ask ourselves, is it acceptable to God? Not as acceptable to society, not as acceptable to other Christians, but is it pleasing to the Lord? And the fact that you're here today, I hope that means you want to please the Lord with your life, even in that which you drink. So let's look at today. We're going to review from last week, basically talk about what Scripture says about drinking. But look at our key verse, a verse I referred to last time and did not focus on. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, please. Proverbs 20, verse 1. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Matthew Henry in his commentary, a very familiar commentary to many Christians, says this about this verse. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. This is so to the person who drinks. It mocks him, makes a fool of him, promises him satisfaction, but cannot deliver what it promises. It smiles upon him at first, but at last it bites like a serpent. Wine mocks like a fool, or rages like a madman. Drinking which pretends to be so, a sociable thing, renders men unfit for society, but it, for it makes him abusive with his tongue and outrageous in his passions. He that is deceived thereby suffers himself to be drawn into sin 
when it is so plainly warned of the consequences of is not wise. So let's look at this morning. First of all, review from last time. What does God say about drinking? Not necessarily what does society say. Our society says it's all right. So many commercials today are about beer, and we see very well-known people in politics or athletics, big-name stars, pushing beer, push drinking. So our culture said it's fine to do. But what does the Bible say about it? That's what our concern should be. Not what culture says, what does the Bible say? First of all, God commands those in leadership to abstain from drinking. We saw that last week on review again. God commands those in leadership to abstain from drinking. First of all, spiritual leaders are told not to drink. Spiritual leaders are told not to drink. Old Testament priests, we saw this in the book of Leviticus, but also in Isaiah, Old Testament priests are told not to drink. Isaiah 28 verse 7 says this, The priest and the prophets have erred through strong drink. They have swallowed up the wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They erred in vision and stumble in judgment. So here God calls upon those that are Old Testament priests and prophets not to drink because the influence it can have. It influences them to err in vision. In the Old Testament, before the Bible was complete, God spoke to people through dreams and visions. And what he's saying, those that drink, it can err, it can be cloudy, it can muddy up God's revelation to them. And they are to deliver God's message to people, and they erred through vision. They stumble in judgment. The judgment between right and wrong, it can be erred and struggle because of alcohol. The Bible also says New Testament pastors are not to drink. Not only Old Testament priests, but New Testament pastors. We saw that in the book of Timothy and Titus chapter 1 verse 7. For a bishop, the word bishop is another word for pastor or elder of a church, must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine. So again, the same reason that wine, alcohol can blur one's visions, one's revelation, one's proclaiming of truth, and also the judgment between right and wrong. So God commands priests and pastors not to drink. Now here's a question for you. Say, Pastor, I'm not a priest, I'm not a pastor. The, the influence it has upon them, would it not have the same influence upon you? Of course it would. You're no different than they are as far as physically. In fact, it goes on to say that government leaders are not to drink. Those in politics are not to drink. Boy, that eliminates so much of our politicians today, would it not? <laughs> Proverbs 31, verse 4. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So the results of drinking for the priest... They erred in vision, stumble in judgment for the politician. They forget God's, God's laws, the law of the land. And also they stumble in judgment against the afflicted. So basically they're told not to drink. How does this apply to me, Pastor? The Bible says as Christians that he has made us kings and priests. The Bible says that we are priests in the Bible. It tells us in the book of Revelation that he's made us kings and priests unto God as a father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So as Christians, all of us, one day will rule and reign as kings in his kingdom, but all of us are priests. And the Bible says we are to offer up sacrifices, not physically, but spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. And so in that sense, these scriptures would apply to us. God not only commands those in leadership to abstain from drinking. In Isaiah chapter 5, God severely judges people for much drinking and drunkenness. We saw that last week. God severely judges people for much drinking and drunkenness. Let us see the third thing we saw last week. Drinking adversely affects one's life and behavior. Drinking adversely affects one's life and behavior. Turn now to Proverbs 23, please. A verse we looked at last week. I'd like to look at it again. Interesting, as I preach on this, some people, some Christians may drink and may feel uncomfortable, may not be comfortable with me saying these things, but I want to share what the Bible says. But you know who, the, who supports me in this message? It's those that were raised in an alcoholic home. Those had alcoholic parents. Those that had parents that drank and, and all the problems that caused in the home. They're the ones that say, preach it, pastor, preach it. Because what it does to home, what it does to people. And so... I want to share with you what the Bible says and what Scripture says, what God says about this. But Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29. Drinking creates all sorts of problems. And so many that drink today seem to be oblivious to this and what the problems they can cause. First of all, in verse 29, Proverbs 23, 29, it creates emotional problems. Drinking creates emotional problems. Verse 29, he said, Who hath Woe means grief. Who has sorrow? Talking about those that drink. It creates social problems. It goes on to say, Who hath contention? Talking about strife. Who hath babbling complaints? It goes on to say, Physical problems are created by drinking. Verse 29, the latter part of it. Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Talking about bruised and bloodshot eyes. The answer... They that tarry long at the wine, they that seek makes wine. So the drinking creates emotional, social, and physical problems. But also, this should get our attention, it creates moral problems. Drinking creates moral problems. Look in verse 33, please. He says, because of drinking, the influence it has, thine eyes shall behold strange women, thy heart shall utter perverse things. Many of good Christian men and women have done things immoral because of the influence of alcohol. That's what it does. It also creates even more physical problems. Look in verse 34. It impairs stability. It impairs stability. Verse 34. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. Top of a mast, the top of the uh, ship. As a ship sails through the ocean, it sways back and forth because of the waves. You ever seen a drunk person walk? He sways back. You ever seen him drive? Go all over the road. It impairs stability. Also, drinking disables one's physical senses. It disables one's physical senses. Verse 35. 
The person who drinks that they have stricken me, that shalt thou say, I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. And interesting, when there is a car accident and fatality because of drunkenness, usually people are killed, but the drunkard just walks out free. It did not hurt him because of his drinking. And it impairs one, his physical senses. But lastly, in verse 25, it's addictive. We know that. In the latter part of verse 25, it says, When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Who would say such a thing? Who would all the emotional and social and physical and moral problems it creates, when he wakes up from being drunk, I'll go at it again. Because of the drunkenness, because of, we call it alcoholism. It is addictive. But interesting, please listen. Sandwiched in, I skipped over these verses on purpose, sandwiched in between all the moral, emotional, social, physical problems. Notice what God says. He does not say, go ahead and drink as long as you do it in moderation. God says, don't even look at it. Look at it in verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red when it giveth his color in a cup, when it moveth itself aright. Verse 22, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. I don't know about you, if that's all I knew about what Scripture says, I'd avoid it at all costs. I would not do it because all the problems it can create. But lastly, we saw this last week also, Scripture strictly forbids drunkenness. Scripture strictly forbids drunkenness. Ephesians 5.18 be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, please listen. People that justify drinking, and even Christians, say, Well, Pastor, I understand drunkenness is wrong. But there's nothing wrong drinking long as it's done in moderation. Now, because they, they say, the Bible does not say, Thou shalt not drink. Therefore, they justify because it it's not strictly forbidden. But we do know when something is not clear-cut in Scripture, people justify doing because it's not strictly forbidden. We have principles we can apply. I want to give you five biblical principles that encourage abstinence from alcohol. Five biblical principles that encourage abstinence from alcohol. If you're one of those today that drink in moderation, do not get drunk, but you drink in moderation. And let me give you some principles you can apply. In this, in this area of drinking. First of all, letter A, do not fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Do not fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Look over in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, please. Everybody turn with me, please. Ephesians 5, page 1649, if you use the church Bible. Do not fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Let me explain this to you. Look in verse 10, a verse I quoted earlier. Ephesians 5.10. Something every Christian should do about everything you do and say in life. Ephesians 5.10, it says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The word proving means to put to the test, to examine, to scrutinize. As Christians, we're told in the book of Corinthians that we are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, which means we are personal representatives of Jesus Christ in the society we live. To many of you, you are the best Christian someone else knows. In fact, you might be the only Christian someone knows. And you represent the Lord Jesus Christ to them. 
by the things you say and by the things you do. So the Bible says, prove, examine everything you do and make sure it's acceptable, means pleasing to the Lord. Though drinking may be acceptable in our culture, it doesn't mean it's acceptable to God. And therefore, you should prove, put to the test, what is pleasing, acceptable to him. In verse 11, as a result of that, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. No one can deny that the effects of alcohol, the behavior that it does, can create things that are, would fall in the category of the works of darkness. What he's saying here, the word fellowship means participate. What God is saying, do not participate in activities that produce ungodly behavior. Do not participate in activities that produce ungodly behavior. Paul's instruction is clear. Christians are to live righteous and pure lives and have nothing to do with things that may produce things that are unacceptable to God. And no doubt, we all, honest, we all realize drinking can produce things that are not right with God. Therefore, God says, put it to the test, and therefore, do not participate that. Let it be. The second principle we can apply to drinking is make no room for the flesh or the devil. Make no room for the flesh or for the devil. Look over in Romans, please. Romans 13. Everybody turn with me. Romans 13. The pages are getting quiet on me. Don't let me lose you. Romans chapter 13. Again, I hope it's your desire to please the Lord. And that everything you do and say that you would put to the test, is this pleasing to God? And though the world says it's fine, though many Christians may participate in it, does it please the Lord? That's our question, the thing we should desire in our lives to prove as acceptable in his sight. And the scripture says, make no room for the flesh or for the devil. Romans 13, verse 13, please. Romans 13, 13. I want you to see the context. Speaking to Christians, in fact, Paul included himself, let us walk what? Honestly. The word walk means regulate, conduct our lives, and do it honestly. The word honestly means honorable or decently. Then he goes on to say, Paul lists, uh, ungodly behavior associated with drinking. Look at it, it goes on to say, let us walk honestly as in the day, not rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife or envying. What does that mean? Rioting talks about wild parties associated with drinking. Chambering and wantonness talk about sexual immorality. Strife and envying talks about contention, fussing and fighting. All these are the example of what alcohol can do in a person's life. Immorality, fussing, fighting, contention, all that is not decent or honorable before the Lord. Then he says in verse 14, look at it please. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the what? Flesh. To fulfill the lust thereof. What does it mean to put you on the Lord Jesus Christ? The word put on has the idea of putting on a garment or coat. In other words, don't put on a garment that expresses the actions and the characteristics of this world. Put on that which exemplifies the Lord Jesus. 
May our actions exemplify his character and his qualities, the Lord Jesus. And he goes on to say, and make not provision for the flesh. In other words, don't allow to do things where the flesh might manifest itself. All of us, if we're honest, would say when drinking definitely gives my flesh an opportunity to manifest itself. Allow my flesh to do things I should not do, I should not say. We must avoid these situations at all costs. Do not give your flesh, your sinful nature, an opportunity to satisfy itself. Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. What does that mean? The word place means opportunity or foothold. Do not open the door and give Satan opportunity to tempt you or work in your life. If you're honest, under the influence of alcohol, no doubt my flesh has opportunity to, to manifest itself. Talk about my sinful desires. Also, I give a foothold for Satan. Allow Satan to come in to tempt me to do things, to say things I should not do or should not say. The Bible says, give, don't make any room for the flesh or the Satan to work in your life. Next, the third principle, do not cause your brother to stumble. Do not cause your brother to stumble. Look over in Romans chapter 14, please. Romans 14. I believe the verse will be on the screen, in fact. He said, let us, again, Paul including himself, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block on occasion to fall in a brother's way. Verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. In other words, many Christians will say this. Pastor, since the Bible does not strictly forbid drinking in moderation, it's my Christian liberty to be able to do that. But listen, when you allow your Christian liberty to cause a brother to fall or sin, the Bible says that is sin. It's a sin against the Lord. In other words, there may be, in fact, there are many in this church that have been saved out of alcoholism. Even one drink would push them back over the edge. And they may know you personally. They may admire you and look up to you as a good Christian. And if they know that you drink in moderation, they'll come close, you know, it must be okay because he wouldn't do it or she wouldn't do it. And they would justify them going back to have their little drink and push them back over to fall back in alcoholism. And the Bible says that we should not do that. We should not do something to cause a brother to stumble. Look with me over in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Page 1610, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Many Christians will say, it is my liberty in Christ to be able to drink as long as it's done in moderation. What does the Bible say about our Christian liberty? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I believe this one verse will be on the screen. The rest of them I'd like to look at from your Bible. Verse 9, it says, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a what? A stumbling block to them that are weak. Then he goes on down to verse 12 and says this, But when you sin so against the brethren, you wound the weak conscience and sin against who? Christ. So what I do, though I may not feel like there's nothing wrong, I have liberty to do so. 
If it cause my brother to offend, I sin against him and sin against the Lord. The context here is eating meat offered to idols. But look what he says in verse 13. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. You could apply drinking there. Wherefore, if what I drink makes my brother to offend, I will drink no wine if it causes my brother to offend. My friend, if you won't do it for yourself, do it to that brother who looks up to you and, and admires you and, and sees you as a Christian example. Letter D, the fourth principle. Treat your body as the temple of God. Treat your body as the temple of God. Again, these are principles you can apply to those areas of our life that we do not clearly set forth in the Bible that as being outright wrong, we have principles we can apply. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Many of you know this verse. I put it on the screen. But let's look at it together again. Chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. He begins with the question, what? What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which you have of God, you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are what? Look over here, please. The Bible clearly teaches that when you were saved, the Spirit of God indwelt you, that God lives inside you. Your body is His dwelling place, His temple. He took up permanent residence in you when you were saved. And here it says, because of that, you're not your own. You do not belong to yourself. Your body is not yours. You've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And because of this, he says, therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit with your gods. Let me ask you a question. For those of you that see drinking is okay in moderation, would you bring a beer or a glass of wine in this building right here? He said, no, pastor, I have reverence for this building. My friend, this is not the house of God. You are the house of God. And yet, what you would not do in this building, you do in your body? Realize, my friend, this body is not me and not mine. It belongs to him. I've been purchased by the blood of Christ. As a result, God says, therefore, glorify what? God and your body and your spirit. How does alcohol affect your body? Good question in it. Here's what, according to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and prevention says, here's what they say. Alcohol gives high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, liver disease, digestive problems, cancer of the mouth, throat, esophagus, voice box, liver, weakens the immune system, increases chances of getting sick, and learning and memory problems, including dementia. It referred to as alcohol as toxic, a poison. And yet we bring that into the temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the what? So you have to answer that question. Is drinking, does it bring glory to God? Does it honor him? Does it bring glory to the temple he, that, I, that I live in, that he lives in, the body that I have? Does it bring glory to God? You have to answer that. And lastly, the last principle for abstinence is the, the command to be sober. To be sober. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, page 1664. 
Look in verse 5. First Thessalonians 5, verse 5. Again, the last principle for abstinence is to be sober. Chapter 5, verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Look what it says here. Speaking to Christians, he said, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day, or not of the night, nor of the darkness. Verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be what? Sober. The word here, Christian, you are children of the light. What does that mean? That means you're a child of God. The Bible says God is light, in him is no darkness of all. The Bible says scripture is light. Thy word is lamp under my feet, a light under my path. The Holy Spirit is a light. Therefore, I am a child of God who is to live according to the word of God is dictated by the spirit of God. And it says here that you are not of the night nor of darkness. That means things that are wrong or sinful of, of this world. Therefore, because of that, let us not sleep. What does that mean? Is it talking about the person in the back row back there is falling asleep? No. It's not talking about you can't go to bed at night and get some rest. This is talking about spiritually sleep. The word sleep means to be spiritually lethargic, insensitive, unaware. So many Christians seem to be unaware or could care less what alcohol does to their body. How it influences the decision. God said, let us not sleep, spiritually speaking, but let us watch it means spiritually be alert on your guard. Be alert on what it can do to you. Then he goes on to say in verse 7, For they that sleep in the night and they that are drunken are drunk in the night. Again, the context here is the idea of drinking. Verse 8, But let us who are the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and of the helmet of the hope of salvation. Let us be sober. Mentioned twice. What does the word sober mean? Generally, it means the idea of discipline, self-control, under control. But also, it can mean basically abstain from alcohol. So, Christian, God calls upon you because you are a child of the light, a child of God. The Spirit of God lives inside you. have the Word of God to dictate our behavior, our conduct. Therefore, live like it. Let's not sleep, be indifferent to what things can do to us. But let us watch, be alert. And let us be sober under self-control and abstain from drinking wine. So we looked at a couple of things so far, and we're going to wrap it up here. We looked at what does the Bible say? What does God say about drinking alcohol beverages? I just showed you five biblical principles that encourage abstinence from alcohol. And lastly, I'm going to close with this. We must never forget the seriousness of excess drinking. We must never forget the seriousness of excess drinking. Go with me now to Galatians chapter 5. Our last scripture for today. Galatians 5, page 1642. I appreciate your attention. My desire in this um, message on standing for truth is that we might see the truth of areas that very few Christians understand. By the way, next week, I'm talking about the truth about marriage and divorce. So please don't miss that. The truth, what the Bible says about marriage and divorce. Please come next week. We focus on that. But notice here, we must never forget the seriousness of excess drinking. In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the works of the flesh. 
The flesh doesn't talk about your physical body. Talk about the sinful nature we have. Every one of us has a nature that's contrary to God. Sinful nature. We're born with that physically. And talks about if that flesh controls me, what will be evident in my life? And we're going to see that one of them is drinking the things associated with drinking. Drunkenness. But notice what it says in verse 19. So now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these. Now listen carefully. He mentions here what is it can be divided up into four kinds of sins. Four kinds. First of all, he mentions sexual sins as a result of being controlled by the flesh. Verse 19, he says, which of these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. These are all big words for sexual immorality. Can a Christian do these things under the influence of the flesh? Yes. David was guilty of adultery. Remember that? Many Christians have committed immorality because of, of the flesh. The next list of sins are religious sins. We saw sexual sins, now religious sins. Mention two of them in verse 20. Idolatry and witchcraft. Then he mentions social or societal sins. In verse 20... He goes on to say hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders. Can a Christian do these things under the influence of the flesh? Someone once said this. As a Christian, you are capable of doing anything the unbeliever can do because you still have the flesh. Can a Christian murder? Moses murdered. David murdered. Adultery on his part too? Yes, you can do these things. But the last list of sins, sexual sins, religious sins, social sins, and lastly, sins associated with alcohol. In verse 21, the latter part there, he says drunkings, drunkenness and revelings. Revelings is wild parties associated with drinking. But notice what he says ought to get our attention here. Verse 21. And he says, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. They that do such things. What does that mean? The key word is the word do. The word do means to habitually, continually practice in contrast to occasionally do. What he's saying here? Here's what the Bible Knowledge Commentary says here. The Apostle Paul concludes the list by solemnly warning the Galatians that those who live like this, who habitually indulge in flesh, these fleshly sins, will not inherit the future kingdom of God. This does not mean that Christian loses his salvation if he lapses into a sin of the flesh, but that a person who lives continually on such a level of moral corruption and does not feel or sense any conviction to the Holy Spirit or does not experience any chastisement from God gives evidence of not being a child of God. So, it's not saying Christians cannot do these things. In fact, all these sins you will find listed among practiced by the Corinthian believers. All these are mentioned there. But those who live continually, habitually, these and do not experience any chastisement or never feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit gives a good chance there, they may not be saved. And so, 
Christian, we see the seriousness of drunkenness. Let me ask you this. How many glasses of wine do you have to drink to become drunk? You say two, three, four. How many beers do you have to drink? Now, it's not drunk from your perspective or the world's perspective, from God's perspective. Drunkenness is wrong. It is a sin. And those who justify drinking in moderation, no doubt, many times may push over the edge and do something that's sinful. So listen, let me conclude with this. Conclusion. The Christian who sincerely desires to please the Lord and seeks to glorify and honor him in everything he or she does should abstain from drinking any alcoholic beverage. Wisdom necessitates it. Honesty demands it. Holiness requires it. Someone asked me last week, Pastor, are you saying that in the private of my home, if I just drink one little sip of wine, is that sin? I'll let you answer that. But I can say this. It's not wise. It's not wise. When you see all the alcohol can do, I believe if we're wise and we honestly examine Scripture, I should avoid at all costs what it can do because the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ is at stake. I encourage a Christian to honestly examine the Bible and make a decision based upon what God says. By the way, do you still love your pastor? Yes. My, friend. <laughs> My friend, your pastor loves you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to see you. Because we live in a culture, even Christians, among our younger society, see nothing wrong with drinking. And they ignore what the Bible says. So, Christian, let this book dictate your life. Not what makes you happy. Not what relaxes you. Not what you enjoy. Let the Bible dictate your life. And prove all things what is pleasing to him. God bless you. Let me close with this. This morning I've been speaking to those you know Christ. About what the Bible says the truth about drinking. And I always want to conclude our service. Because maybe there's someone here today that's not a Christian. Let me ask you this question. I conclude quite often with this question. Ask yourself this question. Two questions. If you were to die today or 10 years from today, would you go to heaven? Many of you would say yes. Some would say, I don't know. Some of you might come out and say, I don't know. Now, if you were to stand before God and God would ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What answer would you give him? The most popular answer is the wrong answer. The most popular answer is, I'm a good person. I live a good life. I try to do right. I'm not perfect, but overall, I try to do what's right. And based upon how I live my life, my behavior, y'all let me in heaven. My friend, if that's your answer, you won't go to heaven. The Bible says, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's none righteous. No, not one. How can you say that, pastor? I'm not comparing you to the pastor. The Bible compares you to God. And compared to him, how do you measure up? God is light. In him is no darkness at all. He's perfect. I don't know about you. I fall short. In fact, the Bible says that. For all have sinned and what? Come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Nobody's perfect. 
And by the way, you've got to be perfect to go to heaven. Wait a minute, pastor. That eliminates all of us. Yes, it does, outside of Christ. We're all sinners, and because we've sinned, there's a penalty to pay. Sin is the breaking, the transgression of God's laws. And the penalty for breaking God's laws is death in a place called hell. The wages of sin is death. So if I pay for my sin, my friend, I have to die and go to hell to do it. And my good works won't pay that penalty. People think good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. If I don't make it, I've got to be good. I've had nothing wrong with being good, but listen to me. It will not pay for your sin. And no matter how good you try to be, you cannot be good enough. So we're all sinners, well a penalty, and we cannot save ourselves. If I stopped there, we'd have to leave here depressed. But here's the good news. God committed his love toward us. And that while we're yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. The penalty of sin that you earn, that you owe, that I owe, Jesus paid on the cross. God provided a substitute to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He paid for your sin debt. Past, present, and future. Paid in full at the cross. He died for you. He was buried and he rose again. And now God says, I'll forgive you. I'll give you eternal life and a homely heaven at the expense of my son. Because what my son did for you, you can go to heaven. Your part is to believe. It's to trust Christ as Savior. To believe when he died, he died for you. And realize when you cannot save yourself, trust him to save you. And forgive you and give eternal life. My friend, that's good news, isn't it? So if you have trusted Christ, praise the Lord. And I pray that as a Christian, you would prove all things. Put everything to the test. Not to the test of culture or society. To the test of this book. And live according to what God tells you should do. And secondly, if you're not saved, let's get saved today. Let's trust Christ. Heaven becomes your home. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we conclude our service. Again, I'm speaking to those who know Christ and just to challenge you as your pastor to make sure everything you do is not necessarily acceptable to society or culture, but pleasing to the Lord. I hope that's your desire. But if you're here today and you have never trusted Christ as Savior and not certain heaven's your home, why not get that settled? You can leave here knowing that you have eternal life. And it comes simply by trusting in Jesus Christ as the one who died for you to take you to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he would save you. It's not based upon the things you do, but rather what Christ has done for you. And God will save you, forgive you, because what his son did for you, your part is to believe, to receive him as your savior. And the Bible says the moment you do that, he will forgive you and heaven becomes your home. Pastor, that's good news. Yes, it is. If you never have before, why not trust him to save you? How do you do that? Talk to him. In your own thoughts, talk to God and maybe say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I have earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus was punished in my place. 
the judgment that I deserve, he took upon himself as my substitute. He died for me. He paid for my sin. He was buried and he rose again. And God realizing I cannot save myself. I'm trusting Christ to save me, to forgive me, and to give me eternal life. How again, God, I'm a sinner. I believe that Christ died to pay for my sin, and I'm trusting him to be my Savior here today. With heads bowed and eyes are closed. My friend, did that make sense to you? Did you trust Christ as Savior today? If you did, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for you. I want to rejoice with you, but I'd like to pray for those who made that decision. I'm not going to have you forward to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to do this with heads bowed and eyes are closed, and I'm going to be put on the spot. But if what I said made sense to you, and you trusted Christ, allow me simply to pray for you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you simply raise your hand to indicate you did that today? I want it all. Pastor, my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? I want it all this morning. That made sense to me. I trusted Christ today. Father in heaven, no one raised your hand. I hope that means each one here has already made that decision. And if so, I pray that they would strive to make sure everything they do, they think, they say, is pleasing to you. They would not live according to the dictates of other Christians or our society or even our culture, but they strive to seek to please you and honor you in everything they do. Father, help us to be that kind of Christian. For us, in Jesus' name, amen.